are listening to the Life Community Church Sermon Podcast. Life Community is a church for the city, making much about the name of Christ. This podcast is available through all major platforms, including Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. If you enjoy and are challenged by our teaching, we invite you to subscribe to the channel on whatever platform you choose as we seek to anchor ourselves to the unchanging truth of God's Word together. Thanks for listening. everybody. Good to see you. Welcome to Life Community Church. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 12 today, starting in verse 1. Welcome to all of you online as well. We're glad that you're here. We're in a series called Set Apart, and it is focused on understanding this idea that we are a chosen people of royal priesthood, God's own possession, a possession in which it has a different flavor than the rest of the world. And so this week we're walking into rest, how we are to be set apart even in our rest. And I know that probably is something that all of us in here would say, I need to probably do that a little bit better in my life. So let's go ahead and jump into Matthew 12. If you have your Bibles, you're welcome to read with us or on your phone. Uh, We'll also have it on our screen. Verse 1, at that time, Jesus went through the grain fields on the Sabbath. His disciples were hungry and they began to pluck heads of grain and eat to eat it. And when the Pharisees saw it, they said to him, Look at your disciples. Look, your disciples are doing what is not lawful to do on the Sabbath. He said to them, Jesus, have you not read what David did when he was hungry and those who were with him? How he entered the house of God and ate the bread of the presence, which is not lawful for him to eat, nor for those who were with him, but only for the priest. Or have you not read in the law how the Sabbath On the Sabbath, the priest in the temple profane the Sabbath and are guiltless. I tell you something greater than the temple is here. And if you had known what this means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would not have condemned the guiltless. For the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. Let's pray. Father, today we just trust in your word that is living and active Uh, So, Lord, we just pray that through your scripture today that you would press and convict our hearts, that you would move us gently through your grace and your spirit to realities where we embrace your truths more in our lives, where we show the world whom we are by the way we talk and we act. And even today, as we rest, we are not a people that are at rest. And so will your word press on our hearts to make it clear what you want of us. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. In 1788, there was a French poet, philosopher, lawyer, atheist who proposed a radical redesign to the calendar that you and I both know. He made this redesign where it was 12 months in length, which is certainly recognizable, 12 months in length, and and that is essentially where everything changed. Each month was 30 days long, and those 30 days were divided into three weeks, or what they called decades, which were 10 days long. So three 10-day weeks. And each one of those days was 10 hours in length. And each one of those hours was 100 minutes in length. And each one of those minutes was 100 seconds in length. So you got that, 12 months, 30 days, three decades, 10 days each, one day, 10 hours, one hour, 100 minutes, one minute, 100 seconds. There's going to be a test later, so try to remember that. 
But that's crazy. That's a crazy redesign of the calendar. And then at the end of all of that, there was a five-day national celebration amongst the people. As crazy as it sounds, in 1792, the French government enacted that calendar. And the reason that they enacted it, because they wanted to remove the religious pretense that was connected to the old calendar called the Gregorian calendar, which sort of loosely comes out of the Old Testament scriptures. They wanted to detach religion. And so in September 22nd of 1792 began day one of month one of year one. They eradicated the birth of Christ, which sets the number at zero in our calendar, and they removed every religious holiday. It lasted for eight years. In 1805, the small guy, we Napoleon, eradicated this calendar and went back to the Gregorian calendar. And the reason that it failed, as you might guess, is people hated a 10-day work week. They would work for nine days and rest for one. And there were no religious holidays to celebrate, so it meant that you just worked nine and got one, and then it just kept that way until the five days at the end of the year. People hated it. And there are authors in that time that said that the, the rate of suicide within France dramatically increased. They were living out what Jack Nicholson once quoted in the movie The Shining, as you may remember, all work and no play makes Jack a dull boy. This is that embodiment. So it could be said that work and working in a way that foregoes rest is not just an injury to my joy or to my fulfillment, but it actually is a violation of my design. It's a violation of our design. France found out in this failed experiment of changing the calendar what is innately true of humanity, our need for rest. The, the idea of rest wasn't brought to us by some gentler, more humane version of society who said, oh, we need to, to do this. But rest is intertwined into the very fabric of God's creation for his humanity. And when we rebel against it, we fill it. We know it in our lives. And so let's turn our eyes to the book of Genesis in chapter 2, where we find our first conversation about work and rest. We read this a couple weeks ago. In Genesis chapter 2, verse 1, it says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God finished his work that he had done, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work that he had done. So God blessed the seventh day and made it holy, because on it God rested from all the work that he had done in creation. What we are reading is not the prerogative of a holy God who needed rest. All right, Psalm 21 reminds us that our God neither sleeps nor slumbers. God is omnipresent, omnipotent. He's all-powerful. He does not need rest, but rather the Lord is setting a rhythm that he is prescribing for humanity that we need rest. It's a part of his design, his order. It's a part of his shalom, his peace, his wholeness to the world. God rested on the seventh day. And that number seven isn't just some abstract number that somebody thought about, but it's very much interwoven into our creation in the order. In creation, there are four phases of the moon. There's the new moon, the first quarter, the full moon, and the last quarter. And each one of those phases is seven days in average. 
And so that's where seven comes from. So this isn't an idea that was created by man to say, let's do seven weeks, but it is something that is a sovereign design of God that is evident in our creation. And it's at the end of that week, on the seventh day, that God rested. He rested. In our scripture, this idea of rest that we hear about is this word Shabbat, or you may have heard it as Sabbath. Shabbat or Sabbath. And Sabbat is this word that means to cease work, to, to rest. And God has called his people to rest, to set apart a day and make it holy, that we would halt from one's work and that we would dwell with God. And it is something that God then prescribes as a command in our Ten Commandments after the fall of humanity in the garden. And we find that in Exodus chapter 31, verse 17. These are part of the Ten Commandments. It says, Therefore the people of Israel shall keep the Sabbath, observing the Sabbath throughout their generations as a covenant forever. It is a sign forever between me and the people of Israel that in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, and on the seventh day he rested and was refreshed. And so God would even go so far to tell Moses that if you didn't obey the Sabbath, there were harsh consequences. He said that if anybody did work on the Sabbath, that they should be put to death. God is very serious about his creation resting, very serious about the Sabbath. The fourth commandment is to keep the Sabbath holy. And so this idea of Sabbath is not just a recommendation, but in this moment it's a requirement for God's people to obey. They must obey that or face the consequences. So the nation of Israel sets up this regular rhythm of 24 hours of resting. It would start on Friday at sundown. It would continue through sundown on Saturday. And in that time, that 24-hour period, they would partake in activities that were restful. And so they would gather in people's homes. They would eat together meals that were prepared before the Sabbath began. They would go to temple, they would read blessings, they would celebrate the Lord. That was the practice of Sabbath. It was to slow down and to settle in with God, to dwell with God, to slow down. And this Sabbath is a regular rhythm that you're going to read about in your Old Testament. Everywhere you look in your Old Testament, you're going to find the ideas of Sabbath. And there's always going to be a tension in that conversation about what to do on the Sabbath and who is keeping the Sabbath and should we keep the Sabbath. There's a great tension. And then God sends the Son into the world in Christ. And in our Gospels, we read Jesus having this rhythm where he observed the Sabbath. Jesus is in the temple. He is obeying this commandment. But then after his death and his resurrection and his ascension, the Sabbath changes. And it changes in big ways. And some of that is, is the day. And the day is not linked to Jesus changing it. The day is a link to his people changing it. And so early on, the, the people in the church, they were converts from Judaism. And so what they would do, they would keep their practice of Sabbathing. I'm just going to make it, I don't know if you can do Sabbathing, but we're going to go with it. They're going to keep the Sabbath on Friday night through Saturday night. And then they add it to celebrate Jesus something called the Lord's Day on Sunday to celebrate his resurrection. And so that was their practice. But as Christianity spread across the Middle East and into Europe, things began to change. As Christianity came into Rome and actually became one of the sta state religion of Rome, the Saturday-Friday rhythm of 
the Sabbath went away and it was just Sunday. Part of that was because of, of being in Rome, but part of that is also true because most of the people coming into the church at that time were Gentiles. They were not Jewish. And so Sunday began the Sabbath. And that is why you and I gather here on Sunday. That's why you consider maybe Sunday to be your Sabbath. Now, many of us may face this question in our life, or maybe you have this question. Is it still required of me then to practice the Sabbath? Is it still required of me to set that day apart in my rhythm? Am I wrong to have Sabbath on Sunday when it was set up in the Old Testament, we see Friday night through Saturday night? Well, to, to answer that question, we're going to look back at Matthew 12 that we read when we first started here, there's a provocative statement from Jesus when he says this, if you knew what this meant, he says to the Pharisees, I desire mercy and not sacrifice, you would have not condemned the guiltless. And then he says this, for the Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. And so Jesus is being questioned by these Pharisees a group of religious leaders of the day, because they believe that he's breaking the Sabbath by eating wheat in the field. Jesus is doing this act that we call gleaning. We read it in the Old Testament. Gleaning is when a farmer doesn't harvest all of his crops, but yet he leaves some out for the poor and the disenfranchised in his world to eat from. And so Jesus and his followers are gleaning the wheat from their heads. And so there's two things that we note in this. Number one is this is just an assertion that Jesus and his disciples are poor. They are very poor at this time. But it also is an indictment against the Pharisees who are more concerned about looking religious and righteous than they were about being vehicles of compassion and mercy to the world. They were more concerned about the rules and keeping those rules right than cultivating peace and love in the world. It's an indictment against them. And as one might come to expect from Jesus, in that very moment, he doubles down on the hypocrisy. He doubles down on the hypocrisy. In front of those very religious leaders, Jesus sees this man who is crippled from birth. His hand is crippled. And in that moment, he heals the man and restores his hand. And after that, again, these Pharisees bring charges against Jesus, saying, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? And listen to Jesus and how he responds here in Matthew 12, verses 11 through 13. He said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. So he stretched it out and it was completely restored, just as sound as the other but the Pharisees went out and plotted how they might kill Jesus. So from accusation to let's kill this guy, this is escalating really quickly. And they're upset because they believe that Jesus has violated the Sabbath. We could reasonably argue through the Old Testament that he is not violating the Sabbath, but that is besides the point. The conflict here that it's at the, that's at the heart of it is not yes this and this this. It's it's a conflict between God's good design versus humanity's 
self-centered reality. The Israelites do this all the time. We do this all the time. We like to take the design of God and, and the premises of God and the character of God and detach them, detach it from, from the spirit of God and his intent in those things to make list that we can judge ourselves off to be able to say, I'm better than you because I can do these things or you're worse than me because you can't do these things. And this is exactly what the Israelites did with Sabbath. They defined what work was. They defined what it was so they could hold themselves in esteem and oppress others. They created this document called the 39 Melikots. And the 39 Melikots are general groupings of work that were disallowed or forbade on the Sabbath. And these are the list. This is the list here. Carry, look at this. It's exhausting. Carrying, burning, extinguishing, finishing, writing, erasing, cooking, washing, sewing, tearing, knotting, untying, shaping, plowing, planting, reaping, harvesting, threshing, winnowing, selecting, sifting, grinding. And there's more. There's another list. I don't know if we have that. It's not on there, but there, there are other things like kneading, combing, spinning, dyeing, chain st- stitching. You can cross stitch, but you can't chain stitch. I don't, I don't know what the difference is. <laughs> Warping, weaving, unraveling, building, demolishing, trapping, tanning, shearing, slaughtering, skinning, smoothing, marking. All of these were general terms for categories of work that you are not allowed to do on the Sabbath. And so what happened on the Sabbath was it became more focused on, can I? Am I allowed to? Than dwelling with God. It can be more about, now when you say shaping, does it mean this? If it says I can't unravel, well, what about on Saturday morning? Can I unravel myself from my blankets? That's unraveling. But what if I'm in my bed and the sun is shining on me and then I'm tanning? So what do I do now? What do I do? And so it just became bureaucracy, as we might say, red tape about can I do this and can I do that? It's a tool to divide, to oppress, and to elevate oneself. And Jesus sees right through it. He sees right through it. The conflict with the Pharisees over what is acceptable or not acceptable is absolutely, without a doubt, missing the primary point of Sabbath. The Sabbath wasn't about a list of rules to make sure we were doing it right. The Sabbath was about becoming little resting places for God on earth. And they completely missed it through their bureaucracy. It was to cease to work to commune with God, to halt our work to dwell with God, to remember what it was like to be with him in the garden when we were fully at rest with God. Because look, when we read in Genesis, there is no rhythm of Sabbath in the garden. Adam and Eve are not talked at Sabbath because they are at complete rest with their God. They are full and sustained and satisfied and dependent and trusting of their God. The shadow or the the Sabbath is a shadow that points to something else. It's a thing that points to another thing. 
And in our scripture, we see that the Sabbath points to the redemption of God's people and the reconciliation of those who call on His name. That God's people again could rest and return to their God as they once did in perfection in Eden, to be at peace with ourselves, to be at peace with God, and to be peace with the world around us, that we have found our sufficiency and our strength through God, that we are well pleased with God, and He is well pleased with us. And so this is why Paul writes to the church in Colossae, in Colossians chapter 2, verse 16. He says, to that church, therefore let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food or drink, or with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Jesus. The substance belongs to Christ. And so what is the Sabbath pointing to? It's pointing to our Messiah to our Savior, Jesus Christ, who would bring peace to the world through his sacrifice. Jesus made right what was wrong. Jesus did for us what we could not. He restored us. He redeemed our sin. He made us whole again. Our faith in Christ means that we are at rest with God. Our faith in Christ means that we are rest at rest with God. And in Matthew's gospel, this interaction with the Pharisees comes immediately after Jesus speaks one of his most famous statements, and it's by no accident that it's there. Because in Matthew 11, the very last verses of Matthew 11, before we see the Pharisees come in, Jesus says this, Come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus is our rest. It is not found in a day. It's not found in a moment. It's not found in a thing. It's found in Christ. You know, if you were trying to establish some sort of financial investment firm and you were just starting out and you were green and trying to learn the ropes and one day somebody calls you and on the end of that other line is the world's greatest known investor, Warren Buffett. And Warren says to you, hey, I've been hearing about you. I've got some time on my hands. I'm not doing a lot right now. Could I run your company for you? Could I do it for you? You don't have to pay me. You just get to live from the benefit of my work. Would you be at rest? You would be at rest because you would be trusting completely in his knowledge and sufficiency and ability. And for us to rest, it means that we trust in Jesus who did for us what we could not. And we trust in his sufficiency. We trust in his satisfaction. We trust in his plan. We are at rest with God. Faith is about coming to Jesus in a way that we understand the completeness of the work that he has done on the cross and his resurrection and his ascension that has removed essentially every obstacle for us in our lives that we simply get to delight in being the children of God. 
We are adopted as children of God through the blood of Christ. And in being a child of God, we can delight in the Father. And the Father delights in us. And so I would say this. As a Christian, we would say that Sabbath-keeping isn't a matter of protecting a particular day, but rather living through and in the person of Jesus Christ. Jesus is the substance of the shadow that the Sabbath pointed to. That in Jesus, I have peace with God. I can rest with God, and he can dwell with me. And I can live every day as if it were my Sabbath. I can live every day resting in his sufficiency, resting in his plan, because he is the Lord of the Sabbath. And he is the one that sustains me. Every day I can choose to rest in Jesus. So our scriptures would teach us that this isn't a requirement of the new covenant. You, you can't make God any more pleased with you than, you than he already is through his son, Jesus Christ. He is well pleased in you because of Christ. Sabbath keeping there then isn't a matter of should I do these things? Do I have to do these things? But yet, in light of Jesus, it's to say, why wouldn't I? Why, why wouldn't I show the world through my rest what I believe about the God I serve? And so Jesus, in his interaction with a, a, a group of Pharisees in another gospel, in Matthew 2, verse 27, says this, that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. And so I would say it this way. Man was not made to serve the Sabbath. The Sabbath was made to serve man. The day of rest that was made to serve man. It's a, it's a common grace that God gives to the world. It's not something that I need to be so rigidly focused on making sure I'm doing everything right. It's a common grace given to us by a good God for our flourishing. For our flourishing. The Sabbath implies humanity's need for rest. And listen, I don't need to tell you that you need rest. Because it doesn't take a rocket scientist to figure out that rest is something we need. You know it. Today, I shouldn't say today, but 2019... In America, three out of five workers work over 50 hours a week. And 77% of those workers would say that this is not sustainable. I can't keep doing this. I don't need to tell you that you need rest. But listen, there is a great tension that has happened in this culture because of the church's belief that Sabbath is not something that we are required to do. There's a great tension because we have gone this way to believe that, there, that we have the license then, because it's not required, I have the license to work as much as I want or I can. And we have found ourselves worshiping the God of success and hard work over the God of rest, the God that ordered rest. And so Christian as we look at this idea of resting, 
as being what sets us apart, as what makes us a chosen people, a royal priesthood that shows God that we are, or to the world that we are God's own possession with a different flavor than the world around us, does our rest reflect that? Does our rest reflect that? Or does the fear and the pressure that our culture has mandated on you make you fear looking lazy? That the culture has pushed on you in a way that, I just got to keep busy. I don't know what it is. I don't know what I'm working for. I'm up in a froth here, but I got to look busy because I can't make people think that I'm lazy. And so we work and we work and we work. Friends, there's a difference between being restful and being lazy. There's a big difference. And so here's what I want you to consider today. There are things that you're saying about your belief in God in the absence of your rest. Your inability or ability to rest says a lot about what you believe. And just two things that I want to give to you today. The first one is this, is that my inability to rest judges God as insufficient. My inability to rest judges my God as being insufficient for me. As a Christian, look, we've said this two weeks ago, we're called to work. We should be great at work. We should be excellent. We work for God and no one else. We should have excellent character, excellent work habits. But what does it say to the world if I can never detach from my work? That I can never just let those loose and be. I just, I got to get it right. I got to do that. I got to do it. What does our rest show to the world about our belief in the sufficiency of God? Does our work permeate itself with the, the, the statues of grace and mercy? Do we understand the grace that God has given to us on the cross that I can trust Him to be all that I need in this life? My ability to detach myself from my work shows how sufficient I believe my God to be. The second thing that we don't realize that we're saying about God in our rest is that my inability or ability to rest reveals which kingdom I'm living in. If I am working as if my reward is here, if I am working as if my true identity are here, if I am working as if my true king lives here, if all my goals are focused on worldly success and material possession, I have exposed which kingdom I'm choosing to live in. When we live in the future kingdom of God as if it were present today, as sojourners of that kingdom, it comes with the understanding that my true reward, my true satisfaction, my true home is there. It comes with that belief that yes, we work, yeah, we work to thrive and survive in this world, in this state of this world, but my work reveals where I live. My rest reveals where my true king lies. And if I'm living in that kingdom, if I'm living in the kingdom of God, we understand that everything in this world is temporal. <laughs> everything is temporal. And the only thing that lasts is an eternity with our Father. And so two things that are rest. My inability to rest judges God to be insufficient. My ability or inability to rest reveals which kingdom I'm living in. And then there's always this question, how do I rest then? You tell me how I'm supposed to do this, which is obviously hard to do. 
I'm just going to give two good parameters and questions for you to consider. Two good questions, because hear me, I'm not saying you don't need to rest. I'm saying you do need to rest. You are designed to rest. And so I, I want to give you two parameters here in questions. Number one, does this show honor to God? Does this show honor to God? And I'll tell you this, our tension today isn't a tension just between work and rest. Your tension is a tension between connection and disconnection. We can't leave our screens. We can't put down things. And we fooled ourselves to believe that that is rest. That is not rest. And so does my rest show honor to God? Does it show honor to God? The second is this. Does our rest elevate the things that God has asked of us that my work might take? Let me explain that. There are things that God has asked of you and I. God has asked me to be a good father, to love my wife as he loves the church. Sometimes my work takes those things from me. And so in my rest, does it elevate the things that God has called me to do? Or is my rest just an extension of my exhaustion from the physical world. So two good questions for us to consider. What are the patterns of the rest in your life? Do you see this as an important thing, or do you see this as God's good design for your flourishing? Does this come out of understanding of what he has done for us? Does your rest come from there? Or does it just simply come from a response of being exhausted from living in another kingdom? Let's pray. Jesus, we just admit that we are not faithful to this. We are quickly distracted by earthly success and material gain, where we, we, we run the hamster wheel, Lord, to maintain some sort of standard of living that we have in our minds that this is what truly satisfies. Lord, you're the only one that satisfies. You're the only one that's sufficient. You're the only one that brings rest to my soul. And so, Lord, you just work in our hearts that we might come to know that the world comes to know more about you by the way that his people rest. Help us to detach and disconnect, to simply just be your children, to be just little resting places of God in this earth. We pray this boldly in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.